This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Boom, here we go. Take two. And welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. What's going on, Mario? How you doing, John? Thanks I'm, for having me on your podcast. Thank you for coming. This is the second time around we're doing it. It would have been so much cooler to do this episode with you sitting in your, let's call it your place of business, because I want you to tell everybody what it is, but it would have been so much cooler to do it there, but we had problems with the internet connection. So this is the second go around and um, yeah, well, you've got a nice sign behind you. You've got a good background there. So this will work too, I guess. Like what he says, remember where you started. And that's one thing that's key in my story. You know, you have to remember where you came from. Yeah. To that. We're going to get into that. Can you tell, um, tell my, tell my, tell my listeners what, new age provisions is all about um let me preface that by saying i found out about you after speaking with caroline from freight farms who told me your story and right away i jumped on that story it really inspired me really motivated uh really Mm -hmm. motivated me so i'm real happy to be speaking with you right now but go ahead and tell us what your business is all about thanks john so new age provisions is a hydroponic farming company and uh, we're based in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we we uh, pr- reproduce some of the some of the freshest herbs, leafy greens, and lettuces uh, in the city. And how we do that is we own what's called a greenery, which is a piece of farming equipment uh, that's a hydroponic shipping container. So if you can imagine one of those shipping containers that go up and down the highway that are used to transfer goods, imagine that. Imagine farming inside one of those and growing yeah. fresh herbs, greens, and vegetables inside of one of those shipping containers. And there's a lot of things about what you're doing that's unusual. Um, one of the most obvious uh, things that's unusual about it is that you're actually farming in the middle of a city. You're in Indianapolis. Yeah, that is correct. Right in the inner city. And uh, where we are, we're, on, we're located off of uh, 3415 East 10th Street. Uh, it's off of 10th Street in between Keystone and Sherman. Those who are familiar with the city know that you know it's a rough area. It can be a rough area around yeah. here. Yeah. It's considered a food desert, meaning that we don't have a lot of access to fresh foods and vegetables through grocery stores because there's greater distance for people within this location to travel to get access to those foods. So having this piece of equipment here helps solve the food desert and bring a solution for the community. That whole thing about food deserts, and that is a that is really a proper term, food desert. It is literally an area of a, of a city, uh, most often a city, uh, that is totally devoid of fresh foods. Um, and it affects the health, it affects the, 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 the level of poverty in some of these neighborhoods. So what you're doing is, you know, not only is there an economic issue that you're solving, uh, not only is it an ecological issue that you're solving, but you could possibly be solving a social issue. Um, it's a fact that <clears throat> when people have access to healthier foods, they start to rise socially economically you know their their status in the society begins to rise that is a big problem with inner city poverty this whole concept uh, this whole idea this whole factuality of uh food deserts so you're solving quite a few problems right here exactly that's exactly that was one of the reasons why i started this business not only to solve the problem but to bring awareness 
to a new concept of farming that is available today. Now, how long have you been doing this? So I launched the business in 2018, but I received my first farm in August of 2020. So what about 10 months? (laughs) Why why did it take so long from the beginning of the business to the actual ability to be able to start? Why did it take so long? Uh, The main thing was funding. Uh, I went through a... I wanted to go through funding through the United States Department of Agriculture. That was my initial route to go funding. And uh, to do that, you have to go through your local farm service agency. So just imagine me, you know, with an idea in my hand. And let me back up a little bit. So the reason why I decided to pursue that is because one day I received a postcard from the FSA that had uh, the vision of a gentleman in a white coat with a tray in his hand with nice bright lights behind. And I was like, oh, what is that? What is he in? It just looked like a normal, you know, thing. And then I dug further in and I found out that it was one of those container farms. So I was like, USDA funds those. So I proceeded down that and I went to my local FSA office, which is in um, uh, Decatur, Indiana, to inquire about getting funding. And they just looked at me crazy. Now, why is that? Why would they look at you crazy? I have an idea, but what do you think? (laughs) Let me tell you, because uh, that part of Indiana is traditionally uh, white. You know, the the organization and the people that represented the face of that uh, FSA office, they were Caucasian. So when when I propose my concept and what I can do in the city, it, they didn't, it did not register with them because no. most people who come in those offices are looking for funding for traditional farmers to farm either soybean or corn. So when you tell them that, you know, this is a non-traditional type of farming and instead of using traditional you know, farming, I'm using vertical farming yeah. inside of a shipping container, yeah. it was a hard concept. And plus, you know, I look... I look, I was a brother, an African-American man. And, you know. <laughs> well, you know, and, and let's say it like it is. You know, I understand uh, people raising an eyebrow at this this relatively unfamiliar concept of, uh, you know, vertical hydroponic farming in a, in a shipping container. I get that. But when you put on top of it the historical exclusionary atmosphere in traditional American farming, when you get into the historical imbalance in funding of black farmers versus white farmers. That's a lot of adversity that you were faced with. You know, a lot of people aren't going to want to talk about that. A lot of people are kind of rolling their eyes. Oh God, here goes John talking about inequality again. Well, yeah, I'm talking about inequality again, but you are a, you're a living example of the issue of inequality in America. So you had an uphill, you had an uphill battle. Um, You also had some generational issues within your family that you had to deal with. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And then I want to get back to the practical uh, process of, of your, your application for funding and everything, but can we take it a step back and tell me a little bit about your family's history? This all ties in. So uh, so I'll start uh, where I was born. I was born in San Francisco, uh, California. And uh, that's where my grandmother grew up and my father and mother, they met and they conceived me. My mother had me when she was 16 years old. So she was pregnant with me at 15. So I was 
her and I are real close in age. Um, but my grandmother was originally from Mississippi. Matter of fact, four of my grandparents were from Mississippi. Okay, yeah. And the reason why they ended up in San Francisco is they, they were part of the what's called the Black Migration, when people from the South migrated away from uh, the Southern area to look for better opportunities. Yes. So from Mississippi, uh, my family from there, my great-great-grandmother, they were sharecroppers and uh, they, they, they lived on the land that they were previously slaves on. They just never left. But eventually when my grandmother became of age, once she got through school and she graduated from her high school, she was able to leave and they got the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> they moved far away to San Francisco. So, you know, you can kind of, I, I was able to do a search on ancestry.com and I was able to trace my roots back to like the early 1850s. And then I did the DNA test and I'm, I'm from the, the west of Africa. So eventually part of that migration. I'm an African-American man. I was part of the slave trade migration that went from Africa to the south, to the west. So when I try to summarize that up, you know, I kind of summarize it up in three sentences. You know, I came from the ship as a slave to the sharecropper in the south to farming in the city. It, it's almost it's almost like showing the middle finger to the establishment to to go to go it really is uh and i had been thinking just that journey from sharecropping to owning your own very unique farming business but again if we even take it a, a step further back of course it's from the slave or you know from african roots and the slave mm-hmm. journey from africa to the states you add that into it that's real. That's a bit. That's two middle fingers to the establishment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just and it's and it's just understanding the roots. Once you and whoever it is out there, once you understand where you came from, that can just motivate you to do more. Yes. I mean, yes. who knows what I what my ancestry originally was in Africa? Maybe yeah. we were king queens. Who yeah. knows what we were? Yeah. But yeah. I know there's something in my bloodline that motivating me today <laughs> and and as i as i said earlier it, it wasn't an early or i'm sorry it wasn't an easy journey for you um you, you find out about freight farms you figure out that this is something you want to do and you take that step into the to the um what did you say the department of agriculture farm service agency, farm, farm service agency. yeah so they're the local entity that handles the loan services loan servicing for the united states department of agriculture so when you were met with that skepticism when you were met with that uh exclusionary presence so to speak what did that do to you you know you're you're trying to make something happen here and that's what you were met with what did what did that do to you i like it does for everyone else it was kind of demotivating you know and it just kind of like uh how am I going to get my business started? And let's back, let's back up a little bit because you touched on one key thing when we were telling the story earlier. It's it's so unproportional the percentage of black representation in the farming industry. You can do the research today, and there's like less than three percent representation of African Americans in the farming industry today. So there's already an uphill battle from that. 
So when I go into a, the establishment that's traditionally allowed to approve funding for operations and the majority of the establishment is ran by, you know, Caucasians, that just presents another challenge. Yeah. It's a big challenge. It's probably for some an unsurmountable challenge. I would imagine a lot of people give up on, on their dreams of, of, of getting into farming, but something made you continue. Um, you were discouraged, you were upset, you were denied, but what happened then that made you continue? What made you continue? So part of the process is for you to turn in the application and then you would get a response, uh, and what steps you need to get a completed application. So throughout those uh, back and forth communications between myself and the FSA, I learned things. One thing I learned was, okay, I got to have the business entity created. Simple stuff. I have to have um, the business plan written out. So each time I got a response from them, I, I went and, you know, I, I started creating the entity i wrote out the business plan you know made sure that i had the proper identification of the uh, price the product the placement of where it's going to be um next was to do my um calculations of what i think my projections were of revenue and costs associated with the business plan and then um they wanted me to have uh, some farm knowledge so I went online and I started taking farm classes through upstartuniversity.com. And I also, you know, started just getting more involved in hydroponic and learning the concept in general. And so each step or each thing they threw at me in terms of my application, I started to just kind of knock them off and yeah. trying to apply. <laughs> and that's definitely drug out the process because not only are you discouraged? But once you get those things, you have to like respond and keep going to them and, and throughout that process. So you had to deflect these things one after another and just keep on marching forward. So eventually it got to a point where you couldn't be denied. Uh, how much help did you get in this, this financing uh, application for financing? How much help did you get from freight farms? So they were able to provide necessary documents, like they had the, um, the the complete manual that spells out what the piece of equipment can do. And that is some evidence that I was able to provide to the FSA. They also uh, were able to kind of give you some mock business cases of growing lettuces and some estimates on you know what your production can be. And, I, and you're able to use that to kind of calculate further what you can do based on your experience. So they were helpful throughout the process. And then, um, so I can tell you a little bit more about the story too. So um, what happened was uh, the, the, I was to the point where I was just, I was, I made my mind up that, okay, it was about, I think it was August, 2019 when I was booked a trip to Miami because that's where Freight Farms was doing like a live presentation on, and they were allowing an open house on um, for one of the companies down there, uh, Hammock Greens. And also there's another women's shelter that owns a freight farm and they were yeah. allowing people to come in and, you know, see that freight farm. Yeah. So I was like, 
I wanted everything to be lined up so I could put my deposit and be ready. Caroline so, told me about that women, uh, ch- women and children's uh, shelter doing that. What a great, yeah. uh, what a great tool they're using to 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 activate and empower those women and children. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's a homeless shelter, and they're using all that food to feed you know yeah. women and children that come through there. So I just had to see it myself. But um, during that process, I had previously applied for what's called a micro loan with the United for the United States Department of Agriculture. And that's just like a $50,000 loan. And the loan process is supposed to be simple. And my idea was to use that small $50,000 and then use some private funding to get one container. Okay. So I was confident that after months of working with the FSA that, you know, I'd get approved for a small $50,000 micro loan, you know. (laughs) So uh, I was able to go down to that, visit i put my deposit in you know use my own money and you know i had my private funding lined up because the container the container itself is about one hundred forty thousand dollars. exactly yeah. so fifty thousand. that's just a scratch yeah. up yeah yeah and even though i was working and trying to work with the fsa agency you know i was still denied for the fifty thousand dollars wow wow <laughs> Not only that, but I put my deposit in in August. I did not know that I was denied until December. And what was their reason? What was their reason for denying you? What did they say was the reason? Oh, they said one that my business case was not feasible, and two that I lacked farming or agriculture experience. Now, so. I was so upset. So they didn't take into consideration the fact that Freight Farms has their internal uh, schooling on the Freight Farms concept. No. So let me tell you, they what they did essentially is they took the information in the business case that I gave them. They took my numbers and they divided them by a third. Okay. Because they wanted to convert vertical farming to, to traditional farming. I see. I see. And then they told me that I would not be able to achieve the numbers that I had in my calculation because I lacked the agriculture experience. Well, now, now, when it comes to the productivity of, of hydroponic farming and this freight farms concept, uh, from my understanding, it is much more productive and much more um, profitable than traditional farming. But even so, they still would not approve your financing. They would not approve my finances. That's amazing. Well, so actually, I'm it, sorry. It's, actually, it's not that amazing. Actually, okay, I get it. Actually, I, I understand. Again, going back to what I said earlier, when you take the unfamiliar, unf, you know, it's not very familiar, this type of farming. Um, and you, then you put on top of that the fact that you are a black American and you are traditionally excluded from all things farming. I understand that you had a lot, uh, all of this difficulty. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it happened at a key point in my life, too, because it was in December. You know, I'd already had my deposit down, paid half the money, got the private funding, and now I was short on the rest of the money. How much were and you I, talking about being short now? Oh, I was short. Um, it was a good amount. <laughs> but I needed that 50 bands, man. Yeah, I needed Sure, that. sure. Uh, yeah, because I, I was just depending on that to be 
part of that. Right. That was part of your calculation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, it was around the time where we were having a holiday party and uh, I was just bummed out. And then my grandfather had called and he was like, hey, you coming to the party this weekend? And I was like, oh, I don't know, Grandpa. Like, I just ain't feeling right. You know, kind of gave him a a snippet of what happened. And he was like, well, at least you could bring the kids and uh, bring them to the holiday party. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll be there Saturday. You know, I'll stay and I'll uh, let the the kids, you know, enjoy their family. So ain't nothing like family that'll cheer you up. Sure, absolutely. week to get to get me going and i ended up going there and you know i was able to let my kids spend time with the family take pictures with my grandfather and and uh he also talked to me he was like well so what's going on with you and i was like you know i just told him the story i was like grandpa i don't know why they keep denying me i've been working with these guys since 2018 you know i've 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 got a great credit score like i've got a job, I pay more in taxes than I'm asking for in funding. You know, this is the same organization that would hand out food stamps, but yet they won't approve a qualified individual for funding. You know, the USDA, I just didn't understand it. And, you know, I just told him the story and he looked at me and he was like, you can't give up because what they try to do is block your dream. Because one thing is they would rather see you. It's like they don't want you to own the land. They want you to work. The, they don't want you to work the land. They don't want you to own it. Historical context. Yeah. yeah. So from that point, you know, I just got that motivation to keep going. And uh, I remember like that weekend, I sat on my computer and I just wrote out an appeal letter. And that two page later and it'll turn to six pages. And I sent that to the FSA and I just lit them up in that. And I ended up getting a response from them and the uh, United States Department of Agriculture saying that I now have a, can go through the appeal process and appeal that. But what made it so significant is that that conversation that I had with my grandfather was the last time I spoke to him. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was murdered like three weeks later. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So if you combine that type of uh, pain, motivation, it just created like another drive, put me in another drive to want to make this happen. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? I know exactly what you're saying, my brother. Um, That inspiration that comes out of family tragedy i know exactly what you're talking about the whole reason why i'm doing this podcast is motivated of the death of my son he was 24 years old when he died of a heroin overdose in november Mm -hmm. 2019 and it crushed me and this whole this podcast you know talking to people like you people who inspire me people who motivate me i can't be depressed and inactive when i'm talking to somebody like you I don't even I don't even know you Mario but I love you because of who you are and because of what you've already done for me and I wouldn't be speaking with you right now if it hadn't been for the tragedy of me of me losing my son to a heroin overdose so I know exactly what you're saying about that that drive that you get that 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 inspiration that you get from in your case the last words from your grandfather before he was killed 
I know exactly, exactly where you're coming from, man. And you know, me, that was like, that's the last man in my life yeah. because yeah. my father died in uh, 2019. My grandfather died in 2020. So I was left to be the man of the family now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just one of those motivating factors and it was a turning point for me, you know, and even today, um, yeah. I still get teared up because he's not here yeah. to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a wound that will never heal. Um, I get frustrated with people who tell me, yeah, John, you know, you'll get over losing your son. No, I won't. <laughs> no, I won't. I can't even say that it'll one day be easier to deal with, but, I guess I guess all I all I can do is try and find some reason in it. Try to find some kind of spiritual movement and motive motivation from it. And it looks like you're doing exactly that with the case yeah. of your of your of your grandfather's murder. Exactly, exactly. See, so, I knew I was doing something right by looking you up. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a story to tell. There's a story behind yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. So so. Okay, so the. <clears throat> the financing falls through, the funding falls through. Yes. What kind of challenges then did you have with getting started? Cause you had never had a business before this, right? Uh, so I do, I did have rental properties. So okay. that was my main thing, but I never had like a business, you know, rental properties just kind of morphed over time for yeah. me wanting to rehab homes and yeah. you know, keeping value and renting them out now. Yeah. I never had a sustainable business where I can, have employees and stuff. Right. I've always worked in the, in the for someone as a two employee in the corporate world, and I still do today. So I never really had one and knew how to pursue. But that was a challenge, knowing how to get funding to to fund the business, because as you know, these containers aren't cheap. Right. So, um, the next step for me was to go through the appeal process, and uh, in that, you know, um, what I had to do was there were a pretrial date was set uh, by the judge. And then that's when she heard the, the different sides of the story that that farm service agency versus uh, DeMario Vitalis new age provisions. And so I had to prepare with uh, all the tragedy and my background and what that was going on at the time. But man, that motivation had me going there like Johnny Cochran, man. <laughs> there you go. So once we got on the phone, you know, I just kind of broke down my side of the story, told them that. Um, so, so in a case like this, once you're denied, you have to prove to the judge that the Farm Service Agency's decision was wrong. So the first thing I had to prove was, one, that the business case and the reason why they took my numbers and divided them by a third of their value was incorrect. And then I had to prove to them that I had the necessary education to farm this piece of equipment. So how did you prove so those I, two things? Oh, so I proved that in trial. So the trial date was set and then, uh, I, and then we were in there for like three hours, man. And so, um, it was once, so once we came in, so first of all, let me back up a little bit. So traditionally in Indiana, you know, and as you, as I told you earlier, the farm service agency, it's Caucasian people. So the expectation is when you go into a judicial system, you know, the representation there is going to be the same as well. Yes. I went in there, the judge was an African-American woman. I was oh. like, oh. <laughs> 
So you probably were ready to slap slap the judge a high five and say, let's get this thing going. Man. Right. I got to get the professional, though. You know, I'm like Johnny Cochran, just kind of look back there to the head and uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so, you know, I was in there, and then uh, I asked the uh, Freight Farms, I had them set up a representation to call in because I wanted them to prove to the judge that, you know, their equipment does what it says. So they had... Um, one of their representatives call in, um, what's the brother's name? Rick. Uh, his name is Rick, but uh, he's a brother too. So it's, it's, so I set him up and he gave the spiel on, you know, what the container does. He presented his case to the judge and to the farm service agency, agency and they were able to ask their questions about it. And then, you know, I went through my line of evidence and I was able to, prove to them that, you know, hey, I've taken all these online courses in hydroponics. I've got three college degrees, uh, two degrees from Purdue University, a master's in business administration, a number of certifications. I'm six Sigma certified twice. I should be able to plant seeds. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had like 21 pieces of evidence, man, labeled A, B, C, D. And we just kind of went through that. And I just took my time with them, man. Uh, no. And just put them on the fence where they started to back up on the information they said. They admitted on tape that, okay, you know, maybe we did not have the proper calculation. You know, if we had knew all this information earlier, you know, we probably wouldn't have denied the application even though I provided them with this information, but it was once you put it all together, it yeah. finally made sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause I was going to ask, did, did you come with any new information, but you say, no, you didn't come with any new information. So it's basically the, it's basically the FSA had to get embarrassed in a courtroom <laughs> before they would say, okay, well, let's let this dude in. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a shame. That's a shame. Oh, it was, it was. So I presented the same information that nothing was new in there. And I also presented some evidence on uh, a historic case, Pickford versus Glickman. And those who don't know about that, that was a class action lawsuit against the United States Department of Agriculture, where a group of African-American people got together and sued them to get funding or for their denial, their historic denial of African-American farmers. And that is part, that has been part of the reason why there are so many, or there are less farmers today is because they were denied farming yes. when they were. They were denied opportunity to get land and to expand their business. I'm familiar, I'm familiar with that case. That's basically the case that kind of gave uh, both the, the FD, um, uh, um, F, uh, FSA, sorry, and the USDA, the thumbs up to go ahead and continue to exclude black people. That's basically the, what that case told them. You can get away with excluding black people from farming. Mm, yeah. And see, one thing, it, it, it's traditional. And you, it and is. you definitely want to read the case to get that information on it as well. But yeah. it's just been a traditional denial of African-Americans throughout the process of getting you know, funding, going after funding for farming. And I guess my story is one of that went the opposite direction, yes, you know, it's yeah. a story of victory. So but that, once, again, that case was very important to bringing that, 
um, historic historical uh, discrimination against black people in farming. That case was so important in bringing that up. A lot of people, you know, people don't really think about that. If you're not affected by it, it's not an issue. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that that case came to the forefront. I am. It is, it is. And cause it is, it's, it's history, yeah. you know, and it's a reason why the sharp deduction and in, in, since the 1900s of African-American farmers have happened. Yeah. And just think about it. It was once an industry that we dominated, whether yeah. by choice or not. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's actually, yeah, there's a stand-up route. I'm, I'm also a stand-up comic, and there is a, there's, I have a joke that kind of goes on that about why black people have a tendency to be better workers. Anyway, fig, fig, <laughs> figure it out yourself, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, you mentioned th three degrees. You have a master's in business administration. What are your other two degrees in? Uh, so I have a master's in business administration from Wayne State University. I have a associate's degree in industrial technology from Purdue University. And I have an associate, excuse me, I have a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and supervision from Purdue University. And OLS is similar to management, but it puts more emphasis on leadership skills. Right, right. Yeah, so in all, I have three college degrees. So I think you know how to plant seeds and turn on a water tap. So Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not <laughs> well, now, the, now, the technology behind hydroponic farming, can you describe uh, what that technology is all about? Not everybody listening may know. I would imagine a lot of people hit pause on the YouTube video to go and Google hydroponic farming. <laughs> can you tell them basically what that, just a rough draft of what that technology is all about? So in one sense, hydroponic farming is growing plants without soil. Period. So, period. Yeah. So traditionally, soil provides plants with nutrients they need to grow. In hydroponic farming, there is no soil. So the plants get their nutrients from the water. And the water that has to be used is significantly less than with traditional farming, right? In this piece of equipment, yes. yes, and I'll tell you why. So, um, first of all, we're in a just imagine yourself in a shipping container that has its own HVAC system and it's climate controlled with inside. It has two tanks it has a tank for the seedling area and a tank for the main tank, and it has a nutrient dosing system. So, you could put in your own nutrients and you can dose that in the water. And as that water cycles through the whole 40 foot shipping container, it's feeding the plants the proper nutrients they need. And also as the HVAC and dehumidifier are running, that's putting more water back into the system and, and, and adding water back into the reservoirs that yeah. you have. So you end up using 95% less water than yes. traditional farming. It's it's amazing that the the uh, the carbon footprint or the or the the negative footprint of hydroponic farming through the freight farm system is almost non-existent, um, which, which again leads me back to why in the world did the FSA give you so much trouble when it comes to funding? I mean, shouldn't people be, shouldn't more people be, even corporate farming, factory farming, shouldn't they be doing this instead? They should be. And I think it's one of those concepts that are new. And, you know, it's going to probably take some fancy celebrity or maybe some rich millionaire to get maybe you maybe you who knows i'm gonna be the papa johns of the industry <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never know 
But I think it's going to take someone. But once the concept does get up and going, I think the the, the the idea of hydroponic farming is going to be catch on more. And even people are doing it on a small scale. You have those uh, little little table gardens out there yeah. that you can buy nowadays and just get your hands wet and learn about what hydroponic farming is. So, so Mario, what has you, you have one container now, right? Two. You have two. My brother. Yeah, okay. My bro. brother. You have well, two. Well, that's, that's part of the story too. I need to be back there. Well, well, tell me so, about it. Tell me about it. Okay. Okay. So, the, <laughs> once, once, uh, so let me get back. So once I went through the trial, um, uh, <laughs> it was a hell of a trial. Too. So once I went through the trial, uh, it was for the fifty thousand uh, dollar micro loan. And then uh, we had to wait for the judge's decision on the outcome of the trial. And so I was anxiously waiting for like six weeks and I finally got the letter in the mail. It was one of those things where I was like, I can't open it. I, can't open it. <laughs> <laughs> I went to my mama's house and I was like, Mama, here's a letter right here. Opened it up slowly, read it. Our judge, judge has decided to that the Farm Service Agency erred in their decision and rule in favor of the of Demario Vitaus. Oh, I was so happy, man. I was so happy, dog. I can imagine. Crying like a baby. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> well, it's a dream come true. It's a furthering of the legacy of your family, thinking about your grandparents, thinking mm-hmm. of your great-grandparents even further back. That's an emotional yeah, a, moment. A yeah. huge motivation. It was a huge motivation. So I finally got the approval that they were wrong and the judge ruled in my favor. So now that, you know, um, that happened, I ended up getting a call from the FSA a few days later. And they're like, so uh, we're ready to proceed with the uh, $50,000 micro loan. I was, I was like, uh, you know what? I don't want $50,000 anymore. I want 200,000. Uh-huh. <laughs> you pay for the computer I got here and buy me a new one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, what was their response to that? Say what? What was their response to that? They're like, all right, well, just you have to submit a new application. (laughs) So I submitted a new application and just submitted the same business case, the same information I used before. So they were pretty humble at that point. Now the court has pretty much spanked that ass and, and they can't, they, they can't deny that they had done something wrong. So it, it, the, the, the ruling paved the way, and it also paved the way for other people who have used Mario, this. Mario, can I have you back up, roll, roll back about 10 seconds in what you were saying, because there was a little hiccup in your internet connection. So I was actually talking over you. I didn't know you were speaking. What were you, okay. just repeat what you said. So I was saying um, the ruling of this case paved the way. And, uh, well, the ruling, the, the ruling of the case spanked that ass is what happened <laughs> so that they couldn't, yeah, yeah, they pretty much were, hum- they were humble. I was saying they were humble now and they can't deny you anymore. No, nah, they couldn't deny me at all. So I was able to use a similar business case information to go for more than I asked for previously. So yeah. I had to deny the $50,000 application and I submit one based off of two farms. Yeah. That's, that's, that's two farms, man. That's just beautiful. So you have two containers right smack in the middle of Indianapolis. That is correct. Tell me now, I want you to be, uh, I want you to just, just let go of any, um, let, let your pride and satisfaction shine through now and tell me what are your two containers? What is your business doing 
for your area of Indianapolis or Indianapolis as a whole? What's the results? Bringing awareness, man. Awareness to hydroponic farming and a new age type of farming that is possible. It's bringing fresh food, fresh food to the community. It's bringing uh, food that's grown without herbicides, pesticides, and contaminants from the soil. It's bringing opportunity. It's letting people know around here that, hey, this African-American inner city school person who went to public school systems, uh, grew up without a father, can do something. You know, it's, it's bringing, it's just saying that, hey, I, a normal person can end up owning something and having their own opportunity if they just can keep going and keep following their dreams. You know, I like to use the saying that don't go where the road may take you, but instead create a new path for others to follow. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and you preaching now. I mean, that's, that's, no, and that's, <laughs> no, but that is the way to go, you know, forge your own way, you know, don't, don't adjust your dream, adjust your reality so that you can live your dream. Exactly. Yeah. You, you got it right, John. Now, what about, um, supply chain? Uh, what about finding buyers for your product? How is that working? What have you, what kind of challenges or successes have you had there? So that's a good question. And, uh, COVID-19 put a real damper on things because my first intentions were to go directly to restaurants and to, you know, just be able to take my product in there. But once I was done harvesting, most of the restaurants were closed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they were trying to, you know, make their supply chain more efficient and not experiment so much. So I had to find a, another route and I decided that, you know, it'd be better to go through farm directly to consumer. So I went more towards, towards online. I got an online portal now where people can go order. Is that, uh, is that a police car and an ambulance? That's a fire truck, man. Okay. That's a fire truck. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's Fred driving down the street. Okay. There we go. There we go. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, if it forced me to kind of, adjust my supply chain to be more farm to table, farm to consumer. And so I go through marketwagon.com, which is an online uh, entity that connects uh, farmers around the city and artisans to consumers. And I also have my own online shop where people can go and uh, buy farm produce and buy our items from there as well. I saw your website. I like the way that's set up. I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy and it's, it's, it's just easy access. So I figured, yeah, that at least part of your distribution is quite direct right from you into the consumer. Yeah, exactly. And I encourage people to go on my website, www.newageprovisions.com and place an order. It's going to be the freshest salad you've ever had, the freshest kale you've ever had, because it's going to be delivered right to you. What kind of of vegetables? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I I was asking what kind of. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I was, was going to ask, what kind of vegetables do you have? What kind uh, of produce so are you selling? I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> so, we serve, like so one of our good best products is a live salad. And what it is, is we pull the heads directly from the towers and just put it in a bag and give it to you. Still got the roots on it and everything. Just got to cut it off and put it in the salad. That's the best salad you're going to have. Well, and the roots like make it stay fresher longer if you leave the roots on, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. So some people have even taken our salad, put it in the ground and kept yeah. it going. Yeah. Yeah. Picked off the leaves when they're ready to eat it. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have a variety of herbs, uh, herbs like dill, mint, um, oregano, thyme, um, rosemary. And we also can grow any type of herbs that anyone wants. Uh, we have leafy greens. We have um, kale. We have arugula. We have three types of kale, actually. We have Toscano kale, uh, starboard kale, and black magic kale. We have arugula. We got red vein sorrel. Uh, growing some pak choy. Got some collard green seeds going. And uh, we also have some cannabis as well. Cannabis as well. I saw that online. So in Indiana, you have to have a, in Indiana, we're still under the 2018 farm bill. So we grow hemp. So yeah. it has a low THC content. And so uh, we have experimented with growing hemp inside the container as well. Educate my listeners and my viewers and tell them what are the uses of what the potential uses of hemp. So um, hemp today is used uh, to help for anxiety is used for, uh, you know, if you have any type of stomach pains or any type of pains, they use hemp in a lot of different forms. You can use it to rub on, you can use it as a oil, uh, you can use it in soaps. It has so many uses used in culinary applications. Uh, and it's mainly used as a medical, I would say a medical alternative. I see. Yeah. So, you know, people's, smoke it as well yeah what, what is the most profitable product that you're growing right now um so the most profitable one is probably arugula in terms of vegetables you know okay. i think those, that plant tends to do pretty well and then the herbs do well too and i say the herbs do well because those are the ones where you could cut and keep those growing you yeah. can just trim herbs and they can just keep growing yeah as long as you get nice and trimmed but arugula is nice. The kale's good, and the salad is is good as well. Yeah. So what do you? But, uh, when the laws change in Indiana, it's far, far, and far most the most profitable one will be the uh, cannabis plant. Yeah. Now, do you? How soon do you think it's going to take for those laws to change? I'm hoping within the next year or two. I mean, we have a few bills that are going through the uh, congressional process right now. And uh, I think, you know, there's some motivation for laws to change. As you can see around uh, these sta other states are yeah, yeah. changing their mind when it comes yeah. to um, the use of the plan. You know, Illinois just went legal. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Michigan is recreational. Uh, even your state, Ohio, is medical. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're starting to change around Indiana, but yeah. it's just Indiana kind of always the last ones to put their foot down and proceed in the right direction. Well, you guys had Mike Pence as a governor at one point, so I understand Indiana's a little bit uh, off kilter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not anyway, man. So it's, it's a red state. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. No, but it's... it's um, that's interesting that more and more states are being becoming open to to uh, to legalizing cannabis. Uh, there's so many medical uh, properties of it that 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 can be so beneficial for so many people. So yeah. I would imagine as soon as those laws get loosened up, there's a, there's going to be even more profitability in hemp and 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 even stronger versions of of cannabis, more pure versions of cannabis. 
Exactly. And I think, well, I know that with this piece of equipment, you know, I'm going to have my own uh, type of brand and, you know, farm to consumer table where people can have confidence that the cannabis that they get from me has no herbicides, no pesticides, no yeah. contaminants oil it's got the certificate of analysis associated with it and so they'll have confidence in knowing that the product they get from new age provisions farms is what it is that's cool man that is that is that's awesome what are your what are your future plans and how are you looking to expand this are you, are you even thinking of expansion now are you maybe just trying to solidify the system that you have now where where where's your head at now when it comes to to make maintenance or expansion of your business so um, I am, I'm, I'm building up capacity. So right now I'm trying to get my two farms at capacity before I, so well, let's, when you talk about expansion, I look at expansion as adding another farm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. That's what I was <laughs> thinking. I yeah. Farms, I'm trying to make sure that the product that goes out of those two farms have a home to go to. And right. that's where I'm at now building my business up and kind of getting uh, more involved in the awareness of it and in the community and getting more uh, getting the capacity up and then i have the capability of adding two more farms on top of that and i when it comes down to that point i have i can have two more farms bought in and just set on on top of the two that i've got oh just stack them up that's my plan. Because that's I was going to ask you about that about space. Um, now I I've it's been a long time since I've been in Indianapolis, um, but when I was finished with my active duty service in the U.S. Marines, I took a job as a truck driver just to figure out what mm -hmm. I wanted to do and get my head straight. So I was all over the United mm -hmm. States and very often in Indiana. And while it's a big city, it didn't seem to be so compact. I mean, it was it's not like Philadelphia or. Or, or Los Angeles or New York City, there seemed to right. be a lot of space, but I'm still trying to get my head around how you place, how much room do you have to place these containers? So there's, so we have our containers on the back of a used car lot. Okay. So if you can imagine you driving up, uh, driving down the street, the first thing you're gonna see is a, is a car lot, and then you're gonna see a building, and behind those buildings, you're gonna see two shipping containers with a fence around it and bob wire and cameras looking. <laughs> so I'm trying to fuck with <laughs> But I mean, I have two containers back there. And so the idea is that, you know, if I do look to expand, I will put something on top of those two containers or I would have to find another location okay. uh, to house the uh, additional containers. Okay. Because there's, even though I do have space back there there's space to go up but not space to go you know okay. left and right a used car lot so they can they can buy a 1998 ford taurus and get a salad from you <laughs> <laughs> well the used car lots out of commission so okay we tell people no business no business here we're closed <laughs> <laughs> you know it's um you're, you're telling me how successful uh, you, you told me about the the adversity in the beginning with getting the financing together, and now you're talking to me about putting the putting putting it to practical use with with getting the farm started. You're telling me about the success of it, but it hasn't been smooth sailing now, has it? I, I, what, you know, have you had any difficulty with getting um, you know, getting a getting a proper harvest, or has it always been easy? From what I understand, from what I understand, the 
learning, the education that you can get on this from directly from freight farms is pretty good. So that when you yeah. when you get started, you're you're up and running. It, it's it's really not that difficult. Am I right? Um, it's not that difficult, but you do know have to you do have to know something about hydroponic farming. So. With hydroponic farming, you have to control the nutrients that the plants get. So that means you have to understand what your pH is and what your EC is, your electronic activity. Okay, electronic activity. You know those numbers. Uh, you need to know, since you're in a container, you have to be aware of what your humidity and your temperature is. And you have to learn how to keep the environment feasible for the plants that you're growing. Right the pH, the temperature, the humidity levels. And uh, you need to also make sure that there's water flowing because though the piece of equipment is smart, it can tell you that the pumps are running. It's not going to tell you that there's no water flowing through the pump. I see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I burned up a few pumps, man, in my oh. day. <laughs> well, and I would imagine that a key to this being successful, you know, having the most productive harvest would be in keeping that inner environment constant. Exactly. Exactly. Is there a lot and, of work to keeping it, you know, the humidity and temperature constant, or does that take care of itself with the equipment? So there's an app for that. Ah, okay. <laughs> so the great thing about the freight farms is they have the farmhand app that allows you to monitor your farm from okay. your mobile device. So it makes, it's a complex thing to do, but the technology makes it easy to do. I see. I see. Kind of understand what I'm saying. I do. So I do. It, it's, it's work to be done, but you have the tools to do the work. Correct. Yeah. And as long as you're applying the basic uh, farm protocols that they have in place, you know, calibrating your sensors every two weeks, making sure that your filters are are clean, you know, checking your drip emitters, making sure they're not plugged so the plants are getting water, checking your uh, settings, making sure that you're not running too hot, your humidity is not getting, as long as you're, you know, making sure that the environment is stable, the equipment is going to do what it do, and your plants are going to grow successfully in that. Okay. It took me a while to learn how to get the environment stabilized. Okay. I see. So are, are you currently producing at 100% capacity for both of your containers? I would say 75 capacity, 75% capacity. And what's the reason for not having that remaining 25%? Is it, is it the, 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 the issue of distribution in these COVID times? That's what it is? Correct. Okay. That's a lot of it. Uh, our restaurants are still only at 50% capacity. Yeah. And, um, it's just, you know, having, I want to get more demand. Up. Yeah. So I'm able to grow whatever people need, you know, so I'm able to, to get there is just making sure yeah. I get that to get restaurants calling me and asking for my lettuce and stuff. And then I get up to a hundred percent pretty quick. Now my listeners uh, to this podcast episode will hear about you. So this is a great advertisement for what you're doing, but beyond this podcast, what do you do to get the word out to people about what you're doing so that those restaurants do contact you so that those individual customers do go onto your website and buy directly from you. What do you, what's your, what do you do marketing wise? So I'm socially active, making sure that, you know, people are inside and are, will have a connection to our farm. We also give tours 
on uh, wow. Airbnb.com so people can go on Airbnb and book an experience wow. and come get warm and see how our plants are grown and learn about hydroponics and get an experience of being inside the farmer. And I've had some of the most amazing people come visit me, man. Oh, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised who've all came by. Tell so me, like, for example. Just this uh, Friday, I had Judge Mario Garcia, who is the first Hispanic federal judge in the state of Indiana. Ah, yes. So just imagine, man, I'm sitting at work and on my phone, I get a call that comes up, U.S. courts. I'm like, <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> they're going to take back that funding. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm picking up the phone like, oh, he's like, oh, this is Judge Mario Garcia. And, you know, I just saw your uh, article in the Indie Star, which is another way that uh, I've been able to advertise. Is, uh, I, I have an article in the Indie Star and also the Indiana Business Journal. I was front page okay. in there. Okay. So uh, Judge Garcia saw my article in the Indie Star and he gave me a call and he wanted to. Uh, book a tour for his family for mother's day and give that as a gift to his wife wow so those tours yeah, then, so, so those tours then are a way of financing things you know you take a take a couple you take a handful of change for a tour i would imagine right exactly yeah exactly so i charge about you know, 50 bucks a head i also have a uh if you go on my website um i have a support uh, black farmers where a GoFundMe account where people can donate, you know, if you're not close, if you're not nearby and you can't um, order my produce directly, you can still, and you love the story, you can still offer some funding. That's and, beautiful. And it is going to pay down that USDA loan. That's beautiful, man. Well, the message that way. Um, I'm also, it's, it's word of mouth. You know, I've got flyers going out. Um, I have a, just got a professional flyer made, which we're going to start spreading out to restaurants and stuff and going to do more talking and more word of mouth. Freight Farms is also helping spread the word. If you go on their website, you can learn about our story and uh, you know what it takes to get a container. I'm willing to talk to anyone who will call and wants to learn about it. You know, I'm, just trying to get my name out there. I've only been in the game since uh, August 2020, so it's all work and footwork from now. Once I got the container up and going, it's just going out and getting that product sold. So you are a true ambassador for hydroponic farming. You're a true ambassador for freight farms. I'm, I'm yes. telling you, Caroline, when I did that podcast episode with her, we talked about you a lot. She loves you. And <laughs> you, you, Oh, yeah, she's something else, man. I love her, too. <laughs> And um, do you feel any kind of, I mean, do, do you feel that? Do you feel that influence that you have? Do you feel uh, anything? Uh, do, do, do you feel like a figure of inspiration in what you're doing? Yeah, and I've felt like that all my life. You know, I've, I've been, I'm the oldest of my siblings. So I've always been in a leader position. I've, I've always been the first one. Damn. Let me say that. I was the first one in my family to go to college. I was the first one in my family to get a college degree. I was the first one in my family to get a master's degree. So it's it's always been a path for me to kind of explore and pave the way and then let people see that, hey, this shit is possible. You can do it too. And not only that, but kind of help people and encourage them to, if not follow this direction, but get started this way and then go do your own thing. So the whole thing about being a leader is nothing new to you. This is just an expansion on a concept that you've been familiar with pretty much your whole life. 
It is. It is. And like I said earlier, you know, I went to school and or I went to college and my degree was organizational leadership and supervision. Mm -hmm. So in, in there, you know, I've learned how to communicate vision. I learned how to communicate with people, learn how to communicate change ideas. In the MBA courses, you learn how to take these ideas and put them into numbers and dollars and figures right. and to and make sense. And then you also learn to articulate a message uh, in PowerPoint and in right. Excel, things like that. So if you take all of these different experiences and education and put them together, you know, I, I think I am an ambassador for not only Absolutely. high maybe for African-American, inner city African-American youth. Absolutely. There is a serious social um, um, a social development thing, a, a, a black American empowerment thing that is in your story, that's in your the practicality and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, we need more brothers like you. <laughs> we need more of us to be aware that there are brothers like you. Yeah. Because it does a lot. It opens eyes, you know, because not all of us in the black community know that things like this are possible. And that's, uh, you said it right there. You said it right there. And see, and that's the thing. I mean, if you look, if you look at this piece of equipment and just look at the practicality of it, I'm in Indiana. You're familiar with the weather here. We yeah. have four seasons, you know, winter, summer, spring, fall. We have eight months of uh, good farming. Yeah. Inside of a container is the same environment, 365 days a year. Yeah. And when you do this type of farming, you know, African-Americans, people of color, they can do this. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if you got me out in the field in the hot sun, <laughs> well, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I like some traditions and some traditions I don't like. <laughs> exactly. I'm damn sure not doing it for free. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just making a list that, hey, this new age type of farming is out there. And it's a concept that uh, is practically new to people. Uh, hydroponics is new to people and doing it inside of a con shipping container is newer. Yeah. So I think, you know, spreading awareness and letting people know that this is possible and you can achieve it. If you work hard, you can achieve anything if you work yeah, hard, but yeah. you've of hydroponics out there. You ever been on a podcast before this? Yeah. I'm a, a vertical farming podcast. Um, oh, they have a podcast called vertical farming, vertical farming podcast where we talked about the container. Yeah. So I have been on there and uh, what I'm going to do, Matt, I was thinking about creating like a new section on my website to yeah. make it easy to hear the historical things. I was just going to say, you, if you kind of uh, uh, have like a little side project of having some sort of podcast or some sort of expansion on your website with a, with more of a, um, uh, more of a timeline of development and, 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 you know, letting people in to see what's happening, what, what's mm. new, you know, how pro how productive is it and things like that. And podcasting is a good way to do that. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I'm going to have to learn from you, John. Ah, uh, hey. Yeah, man, you know, because I, <laughs> I, people say that I should get into podcasting and stuff, and, you know, I, but I just. Well, I you, you, have, you, you have the personality for it, and you're not afraid to talk about your accomplishments or your, or your challenges. And that's what podcasting mm-hmm. is, is telling a story. And, gotcha. and you have a story to tell and you could do, uh, uh, you could do a whole podcast season, you know, for a whole year and just talk about what you're experiencing. And while you're doing that, you're going to start getting podcast listeners, which will then come with their story. And then you'll find out that I don't always have to talk about myself. I can talk about this guest because this <laughs> guest, this guest is doing something that inspires me or something that's connected with what I'm, what I'm doing. You see what I'm saying? And it just becomes yeah. a learning process for you which then, because you're putting it out there, becomes a learning process for your listeners, and then you start spreading your influence even more. Gotcha. You have to do that, man, because yeah. I got a story to tell, and I definitely want to get it out there. So you and I are going to stay together, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you have a place on this podcast, I man. <laughs> I need hey, some influence in my life. <laughs> hey, I'm here for you, my friend. And um, I was thinking, too, you know, eventually <clears throat> the, the corona situation is going to change. I'm going to be able to get back to Ohio to visit my family and Indiana is right next door. It doesn't take that long to drive to Indianapolis. So like two, three hours away. Yeah. It's a nice, nice little drive in the country. Yeah. And my wife is, I'm from uh, Northeastern Ohio. I guess Akron, Akron would be the closest city. I'm from a little town called Norton way, way out in the country where you don't have to use a container to farm, (laughs) but you can't, (laughs) but you can use a container to farm. Yes. (laughs) No, I'm definitely from farm country. Definitely. Yeah, that's what most of the Midwest is, yeah, man. And yeah. I assume the corn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know corn, it. Corn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, one thing I want to ask you before I let you go: um, Do you have any employees, or are you doing all this yourself? So um, we do have a contractor that comes in and helps out, uh, and then I also uh, hire. Well. My, my family helps me as well. My mom is a big help inside the farm and my daughters like to come in and help. And I have friends who I tap every now and then okay. they'll come out and as well. It's not a lot of uh, time commitment. I mean, I'm only here about 24 hours a week, uh, mainly on Mondays, Wednesdays and on Saturdays or Sundays, just kind of as the needs or the, yeah. the requirements depend. Yeah, that's what Caroline was telling me was that it takes anywhere from 20 to 25 hours a week. And yeah. I was thinking for the entrepreneur, what a great situation that is because you have so much time to do that marketing thing and to yeah. solidify your supply chain or your sales yeah. chain. So, yeah, that yeah. it doesn't do and so you do have to get over the learning curve and get to that point where you can hire employees and people to work in the farm as well. So it's, and like you said, it's a part of being an entrepreneur and learning how to run a business. Right. Right. Well, you are definitely running a business and you seem to be running it well. Um, <laughs> you're happy, you're smiling, you're spreading the word about what you do. Um, you're influencing people. And I know that you, you must be changing lives there locally in Indianapolis. Like I said, if anyone knows your story, they can't help but be motivated. And we need more black Americans being becoming aware that there are people like you out there doing these kind of things. So like I said, I haven't even met you. This is the first time I've had any lengthy conversation with you outside of a couple of phone calls before, but I love you to death and I call you friend and I call you brother. 
Awesome, man. As I call you my brother too, John. I can't wait to see you in person, man. It's going to be an awesome experience. Like I say, we're going to make that happen. Ohio is not that far away at all. So we will definitely mm-hmm. make that happen. Definitely. I appreciate it. Can you stick around Thanks for me? Cool, man. Uh, if anyone out there want to check us out, newageprovisions.com. Uh, follow us online. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. We have our own YouTube channel. So you can actually see in 3D, like I filmed this in with my 3D camera, you can see the farm being delivered and you can see it being hoisted over the buildings and being put in place. I'm going to link up to all of those social media and your website. I'm going to link up to all of that when I post this episode so people can can get in and uh, and and uh, have easy access to finding out more about you. I tell you, you, you have a supporter here, man. I just absolutely love what you're doing. I spoke with Caroline about the possibilities of doing something like this over here in Norway. So, so we'll see. I might, uh, you talked about mentoring. You might be mentoring me on how to do this, man. Hey, we'll, we'll mentor each other. man. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Can you stick around for a minute? I just want to say something to my listeners. Don't hang up yet. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. And, and thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, Mario Vitalis, everybody. And if you're listening to me on your podcast platform of choice, please remember to subscribe. If you subscribe, then you'll always know when I release a new fantastic episode with good conversation and things that may inspire you. Uh, If you're watching me on YouTube, which I hope you are, that's where I want you to be. I want you to see these lovely faces I bring in here on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, subscribe there as well. If you're a first-time watcher, I need you to click that bell, ring that bell. That bell is what makes sure that you get notified every time I come on. I love you guys. I'm having the best time that I've ever had this past week with the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Thank you guys so much. Much love. I'm getting emotional here. Bye, everybody.